Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. If you see a property and you think that it fits, go talk to someone, talk to a property manager, see what the houses rent for in that area, and if you have the money, pull the trigger. And if you don't have the money, find a way to get it and then pull the trigger. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip, and they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool that'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. With us today, Terry Adams. How you doing, Terry? I'm doing really good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. And you have such an interesting background, one that I haven't interviewed someone with your background before. So I'd love doing that. After doing like 900 episodes, I love it when I come across someone who has a different non-traditional background than the other guests. And with that background, Terry is a professional flatland BMX rider and real estate investor. He's been investing for about 10 years or so, he builds wealth through investing from his endorsement deals that he gets as a BMX athlete, and he puts those in rental portfolios as well as other investments in different companies. He's sponsored by top brands like Red Bull and Raisin Canes, and he won X Games gold medal and was voted number one in the world two times by Ride BMX 
magazine based in Hammond, Louisiana. You don't have the Louisiana draw that I normally hear from people in Louisiana. When I'm around my family, I do. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, with that being said, Terry, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? As a kid, I had one focus, and I was super focused on becoming a professional BMX rider. And that's pretty much all I thought about. My walls were pretty much covered from top to bottom of BMX athletes, BMX riders that ran the magazines and the VHS tapes. And that was pretty much all my focus was growing up as a kid. And at the time, being a kid, I became obsessed with wanting to be in those magazines and in those VHS tapes and travel to those contests and to kind of get recognized. And as time progressed, I kind of almost pushed my way into the industry through finding numbers in the magazines and calling them and doing anything I could to push myself into the industry, whether it was showing up to a contest and pulling the photographers aside. That was kind of my way as a marketing myself is just not being pushy, but knowing that being flatland, being the smallest discipline of BMX, I knew I had to kind of go a little bit overboard to kind of get my name out there and be seen if I was going to make a living from it. So really at the age like 16, 17, the moment I realized I could make money from riding a bike, I kind of put things in perspective and said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm not just going to be a professional bike rider and be good at riding a bike. I'm going to be good at the business side of things as well. So my focus really shifted almost to 50-50 of being a really good business person in the BMX industry. And then the other 50% was obviously the riding and the contest side of things. And as things progressed uh, a couple years later, I started to realize that a lot of riders weren't really thinking about their future. Some were, some weren't. And I started to seek advice from other people that I had met around the world that rode bikes that had maybe had some wealthy parents or maybe knew someone that had invested in real estate, knew someone that had read a book. And I pretty much found out really quick that I needed to start changing the way I thought about money and I needed to start changing the way I thought about my future and things that I was spending my money on very early on. So I was fortunate enough to find out those things through some smart friends of mine. And the second I realized how easy it was and how possible it was, I kind of just pulled the trigger and been investing in real estate ever since. And it's interesting because initially when you started talking, I was like, the his story is unique. But the more you were talking about your thought process, the more it came to mind that really what your focus was towards the last 10 years or so has been how do you become a business person and do what you love to do, your craft. And ultimately, when you stop doing your craft as much as you're doing, in your case, it's BMX riding. Right now, when you do BMX riding, you're trading your time for dollars, but you're looking to see how can you make your money work for you. And that's whenever it hit me just a second ago. I was like, wait a second. So his story, well, I certainly know how to ride a bike. (laughs) That's the extent of it. So we're different in that way. But I suspect we are, you and I, plus a lot of the best ever listeners are similar in that we are doing something right now where we're trading our time for dollars and we want to switch that up and have our money work for us. So that's where 
your story really resonates with me and I suspect a lot of the best ever listeners. So knowing that that was your thought process, once you got the advice from the wealthy people who had parents who made some money and people who invest in real estate, then what did you do? To be honest, my first step was kind of changing the way I thought about money. I'm sure it's a book that's brought up a lot, or I hope that it is, but it was uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv. And um, that was pretty much my first introduction to taking my money and buying assets. And at the time, I didn't even know what an asset was. You know, I was a kid getting checks in the mail for riding a bike. So if you were to talk to me about an an asset those ages, I, I had no idea what it was. You know, my friend literally had to get on the phone and explain what an asset was and how an asset can produce passive income. And back then when he was explaining it to me, I didn't have any knowledge of it at all. So in my eyes, I was like, oh, yeah, like getting checks in the mail every month. Like I get passive income. And he's like, <laughs> no, that, that's, that's not at all what it is. He said, after the sponsors are gone, after the endorsement deals are gone, after all these companies that you are representing have moved on to other athletes are moved on to different ways of marketing and you are no longer a part of their program, what money is being generated for you while you're sleeping? And that's when it dawned on me, nothing. (laughs) So it was really cool to realize that there was a way to take my money, acquire assets, and then create passive income from those assets because really it felt like riding a bike for a living and just getting paid to do what you love, it kind of feels like you're, getting money for nothing and real estate kind of really fit that exact same feeling you know you may work really hard to acquire that asset or to put that down payment down or or to buy it cash or whatever way you decide to acquire your first rental property when you start getting those checks in the mail it almost feels like you're not really doing much for it you know it almost feels like a business that runs itself and especially if you love it and that's why real estate also kind of fit my wheelhouse as well. Mm -hmm. You learned what assets meant. You internalized it. Then you gravitated towards real estate as a result. What was your first purchase? My first purchase was a house in Michigan. And at the time, I had a friend in Michigan that was just buying up all the houses because obviously the economy is just I guess we don't have to get too much yeah. too much into that. I was born in Flint, Michigan. We moved from Flint, Michigan when I was young. I'm what? Yeah, I actually had my grandma on the show, episode 99, I believe, because she was 99 years old at the time. She, she's now 101, and she talked all about Flint, Michigan. Where was your house in Michigan? Saginaw. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Sagnasty. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you buy it for? I got it for 25k and. Over there, obviously, you had uh, most of the properties being sold. You had to put in cash offers. And at the time, I didn't really have a ton of money, but I knew that my twenty-five grand in the bank wasn't really creating anything. So it was pretty awesome to take the twenty-five k, buy the asset, whether it was going down in value or not, to see that passive income come in every month and see the benefits of it helping my day-to-day life. At the time, I really didn't have like a real estate business. I was just like, I was going to try out this investment. And to see the benefits of the passive income coming in was paying off half of my mortgage at the time. It just made sense of, man, this was such an easy process. Let me 
formulate something to do this in my town. You know, it might be a little bit harder. I might have to jump through a couple more hurdles or hoops, but I think this is definitely something that I want to do because I was also a kid that was pulled out of school in sixth grade because I'm very dyslexic. It's very hard for me to read directions still today. It's very hard for me to read a map. Some of the simplest tasks for me are really hard, but something like buying a house in Michigan or even buying a house in my hometown, the steps just seem so easy that after you do it once, you can just keep repeating that process and keep dialing it in more and more. And it was something really easy for me to grasp, and that's what I liked about it. I'd spent my whole life learning these complex tricks on a bike that sometimes took three to six months to complete one trick. So fast, I was able to figure out this pretty simple formula to buy real estate that I was able to understand and get. And so I almost became obsessed with the fact of how easy I thought it was Mm. because I was comparing it to being a pro bike rider. How much was the rent for at this $25,000 house? I think we were getting 550 and we still have that property today and I think we get like 675. Mm-hmm. Did you have to put any money into it to fix it up to have someone move in? Now pretty much in that town at the time, I mean if you were spending anything over 15,000, you just throw some blinds in the windows and they were pretty much ready to roll. Got it. And who managed it? Was it your friend who was buying those other properties? Actually, the real estate agent that sold us the house that I got a hold of, when we were finished buying the property, I said, oh, yeah, can you put me in touch with a a property manager? I ended up purchasing the property over the phone, didn't go over there and take a look at it in person. And she said, oh, I have 10 properties myself, and then I manage those and a couple more. So in the beginning, she ended up managing the property. So it was a really – we just kind of – it just flowed and it just worked really easy. The lady that sold me the house ended up managing the property for the first couple of years and it was just, like I said, super simple. And do we get a statement at the end of the year saying that the house is worth less and less? Of course we do. But I don't even know the amount of times we've went to that account because we have a separate bank account for that one property. And I can't even count how many times we've went to that account and pulled out five or ten grand and took that money and put into a either other assets or something else we were driving for. So not at all do I regret it or not at all would I ever tell someone not to go and do something in Michigan. Now let's fast forward to where you're at today with your real estate investing. What are you focused on buying and what have you bought? Nowadays, we pretty much focus on buying distressed properties, fixing them up, and we always buy and hold these things. We haven't flipped one to date. Every time we run the numbers on flipping these things, we kind of are thinking about since my partner and I and my wife and I, we have other jobs. We're not really that concerned about making a huge lump sum right now. We're more worried about long-term wealth building and watching that net worth sheet grow by every property that we buy. So we are always using the buy and hold method as of right now. And we stay intrigued by the fact that we can buy these distressed properties put a little bit of money into them, and then come back and get a better appraisal and then take that equity and stick it back on our net worth sheet and not physically see the dollars, but look at that net worth sheet and be proud to watch it grow every year. You're doing the tried and true method and the smartest long-term approach, that's for sure. That's what we're going for. What's the challenge you've come across in that process? There's been a ton of things. I think 
a lot of people come across dealing with banks and having a bank tell them that they're not making enough money or having a bank tell them that they can't get the type of loan that they want or having a bank tell them that they can't get an unsecured line and that's how we're purchasing a lot of the properties today as we're financing 100% of the houses so we're really using none of our money at this point and in the beginning when we were going to these banks and trying to get unsecured lines of credit where we could purchase the homes with nothing down a lot of banks were just telling us no we don't do that but as we found out if one bank tells you no you just go to the next bank and eventually you'll find a bank that tells you that yes we do unsecured lines as long as you know what you're doing and you're giving us good business at the bank we've really focused on building a team so i wouldn't say it's a hurdle but we've really focused on building a team of bankers and the loan officers that we want to work with and the insurance adjusters and the title company that we use and more importantly just having a mentor on that team that we can always go to because obviously we don't have all the answers and I definitely don't have all the answers and we're still making mistakes today and what's really cool is that I look at every mistake as a win whether that mistake was something that didn't cost us any money or whether it was a mistake that cost us $10,000 or more. The, the good thing about making a mistake that costs money is that those are the ones that you don't forget. So in hindsight, sometimes I'll say, I cannot believe we did that. And we can go over some of those things if you want, but those are the mistakes that I don't forget. And those are the mistakes that I'm almost proud of because I can make sure that my friends or people that are asking me for advice, I can go to them and say, look, don't do that. And I can save someone potentially tens of thousands of dollars by not doing something that I've done. And I'll ask you about your biggest mistake at the end of our conversation. One question that comes to mind when you were talking about your team, you said it's your wife and also your business partner. I know there's so many slideshows of professional athletes that after they get done making their money, they then become bankrupt because of poor financial decisions. And one of the main poor financial decisions is not having the right advisor or business partner. And then they put them in some stupid investment and then they just lose all their money. You have a business partner. How did you meet your business partner and how do you structure it with him or her? So after I purchased that first home in Michigan, I said, oh, let me try to get a a home here, an investment property in my town, something that I can actually ride by and see and put my eyes on and be a little bit more involved in the process of picking it. So after we purchased the property and had it renovated, I did the first thing is when building my team is I had no interest in being a landlord because I just don't have time for it. I consider myself a real estate investor, not a landlord. So the first thing I did was track down the biggest property manager in my town. And there's only a few, but the guy that I went to happens to manage over 500 properties in the small town that I live in. I went to him and he kind of came over to the house, let me know what he thought it would rent for. And then just talking to him, I realized that he was only about 10 years older than myself. His name is Kenny Barnes. And I realized that we kind of had the same mindset. You know, even though I was riding a bike for a living, and he was managing property, he was also taking advantage of the money he was making as a property manager and 
investing in real estate on the side. So I learned really quick that this guy knows a lot more than I do, and I really wanted to learn from him. So I probably spent the next year or so not only having him help me with the couple investment properties that I bought in that time frame, but just going to his office once a week and sitting down with him and just listening to him talk, hearing his 20 years of experience of managing property to the point to where I would jump in the truck with him and ride around, talk to tenants, meet with new owners, and just kind of soak in as much as I could. You know, there's no way I can soak up the 15, 20 years of experience that he had, but it was definitely a smart move for me to associate myself with him. And, and he became one of the great mentors and now my business partner that I have today. So really just one day we were riding around and after talking about money and him hearing my backstory and kind of the hustle that I had from being a bike rider and kind of teaching myself everything that I had learned up until the point of meeting him, he really thought it was a good combination for a partnership. And so we had like pulled the truck off the side of the road. And from that day on, he's been kind of my right-hand man. And it's been awesome because my wife didn't really have a career path at the time. So after I partnered up with him, he was still doing the bulk of everything because he owns the property management company. So everything was pretty much still run through him, even when we would buy a property. So it just made sense. I had another mentor tell me that you need to keep your wife involved in everything that you're doing in case something happens to you, in case you're unable to do it one day. She needs to know as much as what's going on in your business life as is in your personal life. So it kind of fit to where now she is kind of his right-hand man and works side beside him at the property management company. And it just kind of made sense because all of our properties were ran through there. And now she's pretty much in charge of everything that comes with that territory, the marketing, evicting tenants, the collecting rent, the service calls, the dealing with owners, the remodeling mm-hmm. houses for owners that just bought their first property. So it's been awesome to know that even though I'm at home doing my thing and I only have my hands in a little bit of the buying process. I know that my other half has her hands in pretty much everything else up there, and she kind of has a good grasp of what's going on. Terry, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say uh, don't wait to buy real estate. Just buy it and wait. Don't overthink it because in my past experience, even the mistakes that we've had or the properties that we bought that we feel like were a bad investment, they weren't really that bad of an investment. It's not like we went out and bought a used Lamborghini. We still bought an asset. Even though those properties might be scraping by, even though those properties might just be making it at the end of the year, even if we have to feed that account a little bit because of the house that we bought might have not been as cheap as what we wanted to buy it for, In the end, the tenants are still paying off the loan and we are still acquiring wealth by the asset that we bought. So I would say just don't wait. Don't overthink it. If you see a property and you think that it fits, go talk to someone, talk to a property manager, see what the house is rent for in that area. And if you have the money, pull the trigger. And if you don't have the money, find a way to get it and then pull the trigger. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. 
That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read? Tickets to the Millionaire Mine. Best ever deal you've done? I would say bought an Aplex for 170000 And how much does it bring in? Around forty to one hundred. Did you have to put any money into it to get it moving ready? Not so much, no. no. It was pretty much... Nice. That is a cash-flowing machine. What city? Hammond, Louisiana. There you go. Hometown. Best ever way you like to give back? Charities. At the end of every year, if we have a good year, and most years we do, we pick a couple charities and just fire off some money. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? I know you love mistakes, but let's use one of the examples that you said earlier where it cost you perhaps more than $10,000. I would say getting too comfortable is the biggest mistake. Is just getting in the zone and not thinking that you know everything, but just forgetting to go down your checklist. We bought a property a couple years ago, and the house was way off to the side of the lot, so we just assumed that we could buy this house and then build another small unit on the side without checking with the city first. So bought the property and now we have a house sitting on the side of this huge lot and realized that after the fact that you can't build on that lot unless you have, it's one unit per half acre is the rule for my city and we were just shy of an acre. So something as simple as just not checking. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? At Terry Adams BMX is my Instagram. Sweet. It's a website? TerryAdamsBMX.com. All right. Best ever listeners, that will be in the show notes. Terry, thank you for being on the show, sharing with us your evolution in your mindset and your hustling mentality that has remained present since you were, I think you said eight years old when you started looking at being a professional BMX rider and how you've applied that towards real estate investing. You're getting your hands dirty. When you were talking about the business partner, you were shadowing that person and really getting involved versus passively approaching a partnership. And that's the key difference, I believe, with your approach versus the ones we read in the headlines when business partners fail and professional athletes go down the tubes financially. And then your long-term approach certainly is the most tried and true method where you're buying properties, renovating them, doing some refinance, put the equity back into the next property and holding on to them long term. So great stuff. Thanks for sharing your story. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Best ever listeners, it is here. 
Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference. The best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to BestEverConference.com.